So, well, so this term collective joy, I guess, in the way it's been used in sort of TWT circles for a few years, I guess it, it comes out of the way I used it in this book, uh, Common Ground, Democracy and Collectivity in an Age of Individualism, which was published around 2014. I'm obviously not the only person to use the phrase. So uh, Lynn Siegel actually published a book with the title, um, you know, with the, which talks about the, the an idea of collective joy since then. Uh, Barbara Ehrenreich, a famous American sociologist, um, published a book a few years ago about using the term. And people mean slightly different things by it, but I think the first thing to talk about is just, well, why would you be interested in this at all? And I would say in all of those cases, at least, in my case and the case of Lynn and, and Barbara Ehrenreich, we're interested in a, some notion of collective joy because we, we have some idea that advanced capitalist or neoliberal society is predicated on, on making some kind of experience of collective joy something we're calling collective joy very difficult to obtain or, or to um, sustain and <clears throat> for me in particular i guess it was based on an idea that to understand how advanced capitalist culture works and the way in which it sort of prevents resistance to it and opposition to it from emerging it's important to understand the ways in which it really functions to make people feel isolated from each other and to make people feel that any really any kind of collective action any form of collective behavior is um is inherently problematic and is probably just going to fail if it to produce any kind of good effects I mean, the example I gave in that book that I always like to give is the way in which like, neoliberal bureaucracy functions to give everybody an experience of, of meetings as inherently unproductive activities. You know, you have, everybody has to endure various kind of management mandated meetings in various aspects of their life, but you always experience the meeting as achieving nothing, as just fruitless, as just sapping your energy and not actually making anything happen which given that you know the meeting is the basic form of political activity democratic political activity and has been like as long as there have been democratic forms of political activity is is, is pretty insidious in a way so it's, it's an insidious process and that generally speaking at, at its most sort of developed and advanced you know neoliberal culture tends to work to just to present any sort of experience of collectivity and togetherness as necessarily pathological I mean, a few people have given, heard me give this example before, but my favourite my example my favourite example is the sort of emergence of reality television and the way the early days of of Big Brother in this country, you know, the producers like really had to go out of their way over several series to sort of persuade the people in the house to behave they wanted them the way they wanted them to, and the way they wanted them to was to behave in a completely competitive and non-cooperative way. So they they had they were really committed to this idea that's how they should be behaving. And for the first few series, when they just got sort of normal people in and put them on telly, they, they didn't behave that way. They didn't behave in the kind of pathological way they wanted them to. So they had to keep devising these te these new punishments and systems and basically screen out anybody who wasn't a bit of a sociopath so they could create the, the situation they wanted to. Um, and I think, you know, I would, I would compare that to, you know, the imposition of competitive league tables and standardised testing on schools and education right, to try and make you know to turn a set of relationships and experiences that ought to be sort of cooperative and enriching for everybody involved into these sort of endless you know ritualized contests 
So ultimately, my analysis has always been, well, neoliberal capitalism wants uh, us to experience other people not as a potential source of empowerment or pleasure, but as a problem. Just the very presence of other people is basically always a hassle. It's a drag. It's something that we could, we'd be better off without. So the reason for being, that's, that was my interest, that was my reason for being interested in, you know, what, what are alternatives to that? Like, what does it mean to, to, to experience other people as, in fact, a source of, sort of empowerment and freedom? And, you know, that's, um, and it's, you know, partly that proceeds from, you know, an observation I've made many times, which is, you know, capitalist culture continually tries to tell us that freedom is something we can only experience privately. Whereas, in fact, the only forms of experience that we do experience have experience completely privately are, are just sort of meaningless. You know, it doesn't mean any. It's meaningless to um, to um, to be a sort of to be a genuinely free individual, completely independent of other people. That what can you do under those circumstances? You, know, you can't eat anything. You can't drink anything. I mean, every all those things are produced by groups of other people. You know, <clears throat> so this this kind of paradox of life in advanced capitalism. So those are reasons for talking about collective joy. These are reasons for being interested in it. Now, this term, though, the specific term like collective joy is um, the way I use it is really a sort of it is sort of a technical term. And so the thing I would say is, I mean, it's understandably and it, you know, especially understandably, given, you know, I personally spend a lot of time organizing dance parties. You know, often when I will use the phrase collective joy or when I use it or people who are quoting me use it, they assume that what I mean is like the ecstatic, you know, being ecstatically, you know, pleasure in a state of ecstatic pleasure around other people, like in, in a crowd. Uh, and I think it's important to stress that's not, that's really not really what I mean. I mean, that can be one manifestation of it, but um, I really, I mean something a bit more sort of abstract and a bit more te technical that can apply across a, a, a lot of different contexts. And so the, and it's a, a terminology which is really derived from uh, a branch of contemporary philosophy and social cultural theory which deals with the concept uh, of what is what we call affect a-f-f-e-c-t and affect is really a way of thinking about the relationship between physical states and emotional states but in particular it, the particular current of kind of uh, thinking about affect uh, this thinking comes out of is uh, really derived, you know, it's derived partly from strands of Marxist philosophy, but it's also derived from the thinking of the 17th century uh, philosopher, Dutch philosopher Baruch Spinoza. Uh, and Spinoza is a really important point of reference for radical thinkers over the past few decades, especially in, in Italy and France. And Spinoza is interesting, and he's, he's also very interesting to sort of people interested in things like neuroscience today, because Spinoza kind of is writing sort of several hundred years ago and, and he's rejecting the idea which came to sort of dominate uh, European philosophy for the next couple of hundred years and that's the idea that there's a strict separation to be drawn between the mind so there's there's this foundational this notion of what's you know what we refer to as dualism meaning that the idea that your body and your mind are radically separate from each other and that was a prevalent idea in, in western culture for several centuries it's not really, I mean, now I think it's an idea which carries many kind of residues in our culture, but it's not something that anybody involved in relevant areas of science takes seriously, for example. So people have got, so neuroscience, so sort of neuroscientists are really interested in, in Spinoza these days. And, and from a political point of view, the, the reason why 
uh, affect is an interesting the Spinozan concept of affect is so interesting is because it's a way of thinking about uh, emotions psychological states pleasure and pain and it's a way of thinking about it which is always tied up with thinking about power and power relationships because famously Spinoza says the most basic definition of an affect is it, it's an experience of uh, the augmentation or meaning the increase or the diminution meaning the, the decrease of a body's capacity to act in the world so to put it really simply uh, when you feel bad you feel bad because in some way your capacity to act in the world has been reduced however slightly and or however much and if you feel good it's you feel what feeling good means is in fact your capacity to act in the world is being increased uh, and this is quite different, for example, to a sort of a psychological theory of happiness, which thinks that happiness is about lacking something, like having something missing from your life and then getting the thing. You know, the Spinozist model is that actually you don't feel good because there was something missing and then you got it. You feel good because your capacities have been enhanced in some way that might have been unpredictable before that. And so and joy like joy is the term the most basic term spinoza gives to this notion of a sort of positive affect um now what's really important um about the way i use that term is um this is really derived from the work of an american philosopher called uh, john protavi and protavi is reading people like spinoza and uh people like the french philosopher Gilles Deleuze, and he uses this phrase joyous affect and he says joyous affect is always registered by it's always an index of meaning it's always it always indicates that what is happening is some kind of increase not just in the body's capacity to act but in your relatedness to other bodies now i should say when we say body here we don't just mean like my body my hands my head my legs they can mean that but it could also but a body can mean almost anything you know it can mean an object it can mean a group of people it can mean an institution whatever so this is a really crucial idea because the idea is that really when you experience something that be, can be categorized as joyous affect then in fact what's happening is the capacities you know the capacity to pr produce productive relationships with other people with other bodies whatever is is being increased is being enhanced and i think this is a really important idea it's a really important idea for socialists i think because it it's indicative of the extent to which well really you know, our social being, our being in the world as creatures who are created by and dependent upon our um, relationships with other people and, and with non-human entities, with, you know, with, with plants and animals and what have you, uh, all of this has to be understood as, as really the source of all our potential power in the world, rather than as the source of something we want to get away from. We want to you know, you might say that the ultimate capitalist fantasy is to become completely independent, you know, is to go off into space in your rocket and to be completely non-dependent upon uh, all other humans and all other, you know, all other forms of life. And, you know, the socialist alternative to that is to recognise that depend what we think of as, what capitalists think of as dependence, in fact, isn't, isn't dependence, it's, the, it's just being in the world and it's being able to do things with other people. Now this is really important because this idea of being able to do things with other people is, is sort of crucial to how I think about you know, the nature of politics and the nature of democracy. So I think that basically when I talk, when I use this phrase democracy, which is always crucial for me, I think 
democracy means being basically means that it means being able to coordinate your activity with the activities of other people in order to make something happen now that might just be talking to your friends on whatsapp to organize going for a drink and it might mean nationalizing the commanding heights of the economy you know and about you know abolishing capitalist social relations you know it might mean any of those things but it always means being able to coordinate your activity with those of other people and I think it's a key feature for people living in sort of advanced capitalist um, cultures, you know, in societies like ours today, that people feel a huge amount of frustration at their inability to do that. And I think this is a key thing which is missing from people's lives. People want to be able to work with other people to get stuff done, whatever that stuff is, and they're constantly inhibited from doing that. Now, to that extent, it might even be that collective joy is kind of an oxymoron. It might be that all joy, I mean, on some, for me, I mean, it's a useful, handy phrase, but also all joy is collective and all collectivity to the extent that it's, it's potent, to the extent that it's able to achieve anything is sort of joyful. But I think it's still, it's a useful phrase and it's a useful concept because it's a useful way of thinking about, well, what is it we want? Institutions or organisations or any kind of activity we're engaged in, what do we want it to do? What we wanted to be able to do is to maximise the sense of sort of creative potential for everybody involved and even for people who come into contact with the project. And I wrote an article for IPPR, Institute for Public Policy Research, a, few, a couple of years ago about this, thinking about what it would mean for social policy. Uh, like, you know, in the book, I talk about what it would mean for schools, for example. I would say, you know, if you, 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 know, you can imagine a kind of policy regime which would ask about a school, not is it not is it preparing people for the labour market, but is it maximising collective joy? And by collective joy, we wouldn't just mean like everybody leaves beaming, like feeling like they've been at a great party. It would mean it would maximise the create the collective creative capacities of the teachers, of the students, of the staff, of the, their relationships to each other and to the buildings in a way which would, for example, encourage probably experimentation rather than encouraging standardisation. I think that's probably a really important uh, feature. This, I think probably if you ask me, how do you know that collective joy is being experienced in any situation? I, I would say there's probably at least an enhanced capacity for sort of novelty and experimentation in, in those situations. Even if it's just a, a party, you know, you might be feeling new or meeting new people or something. So I think also for me, um, collective joy is also related quite importantly to the concept of solidarity because I think solidarity is obviously a crucial concept for the left. And I think so it's important, it's, it's crucial from my point of view, not to understand solidarity in terms of some notion of, for example, self-sacrifice, but right, because I think the experience of solidarity is precisely the experience of, of recognizing, um, not that you have a moral duty to some other group of people or to some other person, but that you and the, the other person or group of people have shared interests. That in fact, by helping them, you will be helping yourself. By helping yourself, you will be helping them. That you can't do those things separately. And that is always, I, I'm going to say, to some extent, a recognisably a sort of joyful experience. There's all, all, always a kind of joyous dimension to that experience. And that's partly why that's quite, and that's quite a different way of conceptualising sort of social relation, you know, the way, you know, um, political and social relations from one which understands, you know, the way to manage social relations as, you know, to sort of, you know, measure them according to some moral standard. Um, and I think that's, you know, a useful way of thinking about it. Now, thinking about this, like, specifically in relation to TWT, well, I think 
these ideas have obviously been really important uh, within TWT since its formation. Um, and I think TWT has played a really specific role in the sort of emergent ecology of the left, like since over the past five years, because because of its attention to these sets of, of issues. So TWT has really played an important role in facilitating, um, you know, I would say facilitating the emergence of what I would call, I call it in, in my own technical language, sort of potent collectivities, you know, groups of people who feel that they are able, you know, by doing stuff together, they are able to kind of increase their capacities and increase the capacities of others around them. I think um, both, this is both in the way TWT has organized itself and also in, in the stuff that it's done. Now, in some ways, you know, this is a pretty, you know, crude formulation, but I think there's been, since the emergence of, of the movement to support Jeremy and his leadership in 2015, I think there was an interesting division of labor between, say, Momentum and TWT, whereby Momentum has often had to necessarily be a sort of top-down organization a lot of the time, which is mainly went through, you know, distributing instructions to activists about how to vote on certain things through an email list. And TWT has taken on a, a quite different role, I think a complementary role, not, not an antagonistic one, but a complementary role of creating situations which enable sort of activists to, you know, to sort of empower themselves, to become more you know, responsible for their own activism and also to be more capable of engaging in various kinds of political action. Now, I think that is really important. But I think one reason TWT has been so successful at doing that, actually, and sort of, I think it's an, a useful way of thinking about the, um, you know, the uh, this this notion of collective joy. Is that, well, you, I would say if you if you if you think of collective joy in this sort of banal sense that I keep saying people shouldn't just think of it as, then you might think, well, there's going to be more collective joy if you just have a festival, if you just have a party, if you don't kind of taint it with any kind of interaction with bureaucratic institutions or with um you know the tedium of, of things like labor party internal politics and what i would say in relation to that is i think that's not right at all and i think actually my experience with twt is it has had a certain quality the experience of being involved has had a certain quality but also it, it has had observable political effects uh, for particular groups of people which are quite different from you know, other kind of projects I've participated in or observed or been involved with, I mean, really for decades, um, all of which would have been more at a distance from sort of formal Labour Party politics, you know, and I think it's important to understand, to think about the question, well, well, especially now, given that we don't, we're not allies to the current leadership of the Labour Party, well, what is the difference between the World Transformed as a project and just a, a kind of casual festival of the left? Because there have been loads of like casual festivals of the left and there have been all through my life there have been uh, none of them have achieved anything at all really and, and they've all been quite fun and it, they're often quite fun and exciting like while the day the the day of events is happening but there's this real feeling of sort of sterility at the end of it but and, and, and there's a kind of feeling you know there's a come down at the end of the party you know after your fantastic conference because nobody knows where to go no there's nothing it's not plugged in that this particular machine is not plugged into any bigger machine which is capable of doing anything and i think twt is really what's really unique in my in my adult lifetime about twt is the fact that it's it's not that it is in in fact it is um it is the fact that it's connected to other circuits of you know for co the coordination of our collective energies and 
more durable and in some senses more vertical and kind of top-down institutions is precisely what makes it so sort of potent a lot of the time and it makes that capacity it makes its kind of joy joyfulness joyful in the technical sense that i was talking about of being actually maximizing the capacity of the people involved to relate to the world in a productive way rather than just being fun um and i think so i think that is really important and i think it's going to be probably quite important this year that twt the, the annual festival is happening is still happening alongside conference um other you know um despite the fact that the leadership of the party aren't going to want us there uh, this year. Because I think in that sense, I think to some extent, I think it's really important, partly because it's important to make a kind of radically democratic politics, which I think TWT manifests, you know, to, for that to be making demands upon sort of mainstream politics, for that to be not giving up on all the hope of sort of, of influencing it and challenging it. I also think that, you know, there's a whole, I think TWT exemplifies a set of, tendencies which certainly could um you know, and, and a set of ways of organizing around political education and political self-education which really ought to be central to the work of the, of the party as a whole i think the, the twt serves a really important role as a sort of ideal model of what twt of what you know um, the kind of thing the labor party has so like drastically failed to do for the past few decades and you know com compared to other comparable left parties even sort of center left parties around the world it really does fail like to do any of that stuff and i think um so i think that is still quite important for, T for twt and i think it is i think it is still quite important that it maintains that relationship because um well because i think as i said because it's a sort of example because i think it's also really striking i think this is the last thing i'll say one thing that it's really striking actually is that the right have never really been able to lay a glove on TWT. You know, they've gone after momentum, they kind of attack momentum, but the, um, you know, even when they've sent, um, they sent, you know, the Guardian and other in the Observer, you know, and even the Daily Mail and places like that, they've sent, you know, journos down every year to TWT to try with the brief of attacking it, like exposing it. And they've always come away. I mean, I know this from personal experience. They come away like really impressed, like unable to bring themselves to sort of slag it off. And um, that and that isn't that's despite the fact that it's openly an antagonistic project. It's openly a project which isn't just about everybody having a good time and educating each other. That it's it is opposed to some things. It is opposed to the right wing of the party and opposed to uh, you know capitalism and neoliberalism. And I think. And I think that does set that is to me that is an indicator that is an index of the kind of the kind of potency of TWT's capacity to work with this the grain of this uh, aim of um, maximizing collective joy because people just you know I you know I mean I'll say I mean I you know, I think it was the first one I think it was the first TWT I I took John Harris so boo hiss John Harris and he went with the intention of hating it and like and he couldn't he couldn't hate it like he couldn't bring himself to like he wanted to and he couldn't so um i think it is and i think it does and i would say in fact i would even go so far as to say i think moment i think i'm going to talk about my local experience here this is really okay this will be the last thing but i think this is a really good illustration like momentum where i live in walthamstone stella creasy's like constituency and momentum spent five years completely wasting its time banging its head against the wall 
of the right entrenched right-wing bureaucracy here and in the process just fail to capitalize on the, the fact we had an enormous like an astronomical surge in labor members in like 2015 to 16 because you know the old to be honest like the old benites kept assuming that if they just kept going to meetings and eventually enough of their people would come and they would win the vote and it just didn't work and if they if we'd done something completely different if we had just done walthamstone transform for five years and not even bothered to like getting not even bothered going to branch meetings frankly not even bothered getting to fights we would have been able to build up enough of a culture enough of a cohort that then we could have gone and overwhelmed the branch meetings and taken over the party you know, if we, if we had practiced a strategy of building collective joy before taking on an enemy, we, were, we weren't well organized enough to fight, then we would have been able to develop that capacity to fight them. Uh, and I think that's probably true in a lot of areas. I think that's probably true in a lot of places. So I think, um, I think, it's a, I think that's something to reflect upon that's quite significant. Imagine, demand and build a world transformed.